0: Welcome to All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's sermon podcast. This week we hear from the Reverend Phil Brochard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 4 to 20. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or more sermons from All Souls on our website, which is allsoulsparish.org. Hope to see you around sometime. The story of the kings of Israel begins with a meditation on longing. Longing as in an unmet and deeply held desire. And specifically, it begins with a story of longing by a woman named Hannah who longs for a child. Now, uh, this may not be the way you expect the saga's of Saul and David and Solomon to begin with a story of longing and a woman who has met with indifference and cruelty and mockery but that's how it starts and there's something about the longing that winds its way through our story this morning that feels important for us as we emerge from this time of deep sadness and unequal precariousness. What does it mean to encounter, to truly encounter, another person's longing? How do we respond when someone else's desperate longing exposes our own? And where do we take these Deep longings, the ones that, that gnaw at us, known or unknown by others. To engage these essential questions, I'd like to look at our story this morning and look at it uh, through the lens of three people in it. Through the lens of Elkanah, through the lens of Penina, and through the lens of Hannah. We'll start with Elkanah because somehow he gets first billing in this story. I I think we know how. We're told that he has two wives, Penina and Hannah, and that every year when they go to Shiloh to offer sacrifice and to worship, when he receives his portions of The food that has been offered and sacrificed, he then gives one portion to Peninnah and their sons and daughters. And then to Hannah, his other wife, he gives not one, but two portions. Because in the text we are told that he loved her even though she had borne him no children. Now, in this and in any age, infertility is painful. And in this culture, it had a particular pressure because a woman's place in society and her security depended upon her husband and her children. But it's not just that. Elkanah gives Hannah a double portion because it seems he's trying to assuage a deeper despair. Because his other wife, Panina, seeing Hannah's barrenness makes Hannah's life miserable. Cutting words, painful slights, day after day, year after year, they take their toll. And finally, what we hear through her tears is that Hannah can barely eat. Her desire, Her longing, her despair is so deep. And so uh, Elkanah has already tried gifts in a way. And so, what's his response to Hannah's longing? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, commentators over the centuries have lauded Elkanah for his profession of love. He doesn't have to do this. And yes, he does try to comfort Hannah by decar- declaring his love, which is something. But at the same time, he is completely missing what's happening here. Is he uh, unable to see the profound vulnerability that Hannah is facing in this culture when her security is known through her ability to bear children? Or is he just unwilling to place himself in her position? The effect is that Anna, Hannah is even more invisible and deeper in this despair. And so I've been wondering, how often is it that we are not able to really pay attention to the pain, the deep longings of people in our lives? When have you settled for those, uh, those easy professions? Of course I love you, without taking the time to understand, to lean into the longing Beneath their sadness. So that was Elkanah. Let's let's turn the story a click and pay attention to Penina. Now it's really easy to cast Penina as the villain. I mean, in our story, Hannah is clearly the heroine. And all Penina does is antagonize Hannah for her longing for what is seen in their culture as her lacking. And Penina's response, we're told, is to constantly irritate, to provoke Hannah, as if she herself has had full control over her ability to reproduce. A danger here is that when we paint Penina as a villain... What we also do is we pretend as if this response is so foreign to us. (laughs) What we're talking about here is someone who has a standing. It may have been relatively a low standing, but in this case, someone who has standing, a kind of security in their culture, who then looks down on the one next to them, who is more precarious. Now that feels familiar. Whether that standing is gender or race or class, political affiliation or vaccination status. As long as I've got one leg up on you, uh, well, then it's much easier for me to look down. And it makes me feel maybe a little bit better because at least I'm not you. And I have to say there there is a certain amount of comfort in distancing ourselves from someone who is so obviously demeaning another person. But let's stay here for a moment with Penny and I. Because I wonder if we've been there as well, but we may not as easily recognize it. Right? She's done all the things in her culture that she is supposed to do. She's given her husband sons and daughters. And still, Elkanah loves Hannah more. Have you been there? Done all the right things, sacrificed for what our culture has told you you should want and still found that someone else has what you truly desire? What do you do with that longing? What do you do with that sadness? Do you let it rub until it chafes and then relieve the pressure with provocations of pain just so that someone else can feel the sting or is there something else to do with our longing now finally let's let's look at hannah Isolated for not performing a function of her society. Unheard in her loss and in her longing. Belittled for her vulnerability. Often in preparing to preach, I try to identify uh, what might be an emotional heartbeat of the passage. The part where the text comes to life, where the pathos is made clear. And for much of the week, I thought it was when Hannah is distraught, when she is weeping on the steps of the temple. And it it is a heartbeat. It is a a gut-wrenching moment. Even that her heartfelt prayer offered to God is mocked by the priest. But I wonder if another heartbeat is also heard in Hannah's remarkable moment of agency. After she's belittled by the priest, Eli, she still stays true to her longing until she is finally seen. When confronted by him, when when she's accused of being drunk, she doesn't act like it doesn't matter. She doesn't shrink away. She engages by the rules of the unjust culture. And she does not give up. Her longing will be heard by Eli and by God. And it is. And with that, something in her shifts. A truth that something will come out of her longing. One of you held on to a, a longing despite pressures to set it aside was your longing finally seen or heard what are the longings that you hold now the ones you hold so tightly that you may even be unwilling to give them to god what might happen if we if we brought those deep desires and laid them at the foot of the throne of grace. The thing about longing is that it's everywhere. And My guess is that there are places in our lives in which we are Elkanah, attempting to love one, someone, but not really hearing their longing for what it is. And there likely are places in our lives in which we are penina, unable to endure the pain of not receiving what we want, unwilling to see the pain of others. And there likely are places in our lives in which we are Hannah, wounded by pain and isolation and hoping that our longing will be seen and heard by God. As you and I make our way through this week, I'd invite us to pay attention to the longings within us and the longings around us. May we be ready to hear, to truly hear the longings of those we love. And when we feel the chafe of bitterness, may we be prepared to listen for our own pain. And if we're going to provoke each other, to provoke each other with acts of love. And finally, that we may bring our longings, our deeply held desires to God, trusting that they will be heard.